Welcome back to The Curious Clinicians, a medical podcast that asks why. I'm Tony Brew, and I am joined as always by my co-hosts, Hannah Abrams. Hello, Hannah. Hey. And Avi Cooper. Avi. Hi. All right, so let's get right to it. We have an absolutely fascinating discussion in store. Uh, I think, Avi, you're going to sort of talk about a topic that I've thought about a lot before, but I haven't necessarily explored. So I think most of us know that we use steroids for a lot of reasons and a lot of indications in medicine. We use it to treat COPD and exacerbations, autoimmune diseases, airway swelling, gout, so on and so on. But in this episode, we're going to focus on the mechanism for how steroids treat cerebral edema related to specifically brain tumors. So Avi, what got you interested in this topic? Well, I guess the first thing I would say is as a pulmonologist, I love steroids, right? We... (laughs) We try to find new ways to give patients steroids, right? Inhaled and IV, oral, all those things in the nose. But thinking about the sort of uh, intensive care side of my practice, you know, one of the ICUs that I attend in is a cancer ICU. And not infrequently, we see patients there presenting with symptoms that are related to a mass effect from an intracranial tumor or metastasis with associated cerebral edema. And it can make people really, really sick. And you know we treat that cerebral edema with steroids, particularly dexamethasone, and they just really seem to help, almost a little bit magical in a way, where someone sort of can just wake up when you give them dexamethasone. You know, and I never understood why. I mean, honestly, like I sort of thought that like steroids reduce inflammation, and maybe waving hands that somehow that reduced the cerebral edema around the tumor. I didn't really know much beyond that, and so that's why I was interested in learning more. So, what did either of you think that the mechanism might be? Well, I had always had this assumption that because steroids were quote unquote anti-inflammatory, sort of one of the inflammatory things that happens, which is sort of edema at the site of inflammation, that it somehow, to your point, magically reduced that. But the exact mechanism by which it did that, I didn't have a clue. Yeah, I would. I still don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Avi, I'm in your boat. I would have like done a lot of hand waving, inflammation unknown, unknowable, mayhaps. Uh, (laughs) I think we all had kind of like a rudimentary understanding that steroids like reduce edema around the brain tumor, unknowable how. So I'm very glad, particularly before I start oncology fellowship, that we're going to take a deeper dive on this episode. So maybe let's start at the beginning. When did people first notice that steroids had this effect? So it was actually back in 1955. And there were three neurosurgeons from the University of Michigan that published a case series in the Journal of Neurosurgery. And they reported on 21 patients that they had operated on over the previous 20 years or so that all had craniopharyngiomas that were resected. And what can happen with the procedure was that sometimes the cella turcica and the pituitary gland would get damaged, like, you know, during the dissection. And so these 21 patients had received perioperative cortisone as a means of replacing endogenous corticosteroids that, you know, if the pituitary gland is damaged, wouldn't be made anymore. And so it was really just a question of physiologic replacement. But they noticed that these patients who'd received cortisone had improved post-operative outcomes. You know, and perhaps not surprisingly, they noticed the signal more along the lines of preventing circulatory collapse, which would occur if the patient becomes, you know, acutely adrenally insufficient. But there was this one line in this paper from 1955 that sort of wondered that maybe the cortisone was also improving outcomes, you know, postoperatively by reducing cerebral edema. But they sort of just left it there and they sort of just wondered if maybe that was having an effect as well. 
It's always fascinating when these unintended observations are made, and you have to give credit to the researchers who are astute enough to sort of say, wait, this is not why we were giving it, but look at this, look what's happened. But that makes the point here that they weren't giving the steroids here to reduce cerebral they were giving it for corticosteroid placement. So maybe the patients on steroids did better because they weren't adrenally insufficient, is, or the, I don't know if we can comment on that. I feel like in that original study, it almost certainly played a very big role because that's what they were trying to do. But in, there was a 1961 case series that it started to show some more clear benefits on cerebral edema specifically. So this series reported on the outcomes of 14 patients with various types of brain tumors who were all treated with dexamethasone. Prior to the dexamethasone, the patients had these severe symptoms from their tumors, confusion, stupor, even coma. A lot of them had papilledema and other signs of elevated intracranial pressure and like symptoms to go along with that, like you know, really bad nausea and vomiting. And in most patients in the cohort, within 48 hours of receiving dexamethasone, like all of these ominous neurological signs improved. And you know, it, it sort of like was a Lazarus effect a little bit after these patients, you know, you know, received dexamethasone that, you know, they could sort of miraculously have these very rapid improvements in their clinical status. You know, and of course, you know, the case descriptions were very concise and clinical. I did really enjoy reading this paper and like looking at their description of these responses, these really robust responses. And I think one of the most dramatic ones was in this patient with glioblastoma who had been completely obtunded for six weeks. And they got dexamethasone and they woke up within 24 hours. They started to speak and they started to eat. And again, presumably this was happening because of a really quick and rapid decrease in edema and swelling around the tumor. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. And then now if we were to zoom ahead, dexamethasone is standard of care for cerebral edema related to malignancy in the brain. So let's dive into maybe why, if we know anything about why steroids might have anti-edema effect in the brain. Yeah, you know, even before going into why, as to why steroids are having this anti-edema effect, you know, let's delineate the sort of two distinct types of edema. There's vasogenic edema and there's cytotoxic edema. And this breakdown was sort of intuitive. It sort of made intuitive sense to me, but I had never really heard it so well broken down until I started looking at this literature. So had either of you heard of this before? think only in like radiology reports. I think I knew of vasogenic edema and I would not have been able to tell you another type of edema. <laughs> yeah. I'd heard the terms before and I always had a very probably incorrect sense that vasogenic was like transudate and cytotoxic mm -hmm. was exudate, but I guess is that then it right. So uh, I think you're going to have to teach us. So maybe we can start with like what is vasogenic edema? So what's going on there, Avi? Yeah. So you know, to understand vasogenic edema, we need to review the blood-brain barrier. So in medical school, I had a little bit of like a mythical conception of what the blood-brain barrier is, that it was this sort of like super elaborate entity that kept the brain separate from the blood. And it does have its complexities, but in actuality, it's really just a layer of tightly bound endothelial cells that prevents stuff in the blood from accessing the brain. So like an amazing thing, but I, I don't know, I, I felt like it was perhaps a more complicated concept than it is. It's, it's really just tightly bound endothelial cells. The nephron, it sounds like, would just sneer at the blood-brain barrier, a simple, <laughs> yeah. a simple, tightly up, tightly Show me your photo where, where, you know, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the nuance? <laughs> yeah, but it's amazing. I had the same sense of this very complex structure that ultimately is just, like you said, endothelial cells. It's really weird. So 
in that sense, if it's just like a single layer, not to, I, you know, I think we're going to offend the blood brain barrier cloud <laughs> crowd in our audience, but you know, if it's just kind of a simple layer, can it af- protect from cerebral edema or sort of fluid shifts? It, you know, it actually can. And I, I sort of think of it, the, I sort of think of the blood brain barrier, like plastic wrap for the brain. So as long as that barrier is intact, it protects the brain from an influx of excess fluid into the tissue, which would otherwise, you know, cause cerebral edema. All right. So I think we're being a little bit cavalier just saying, oh, blood brain barrier is a couple epithelial cells. So there's got to be a little bit more to it. So can you maybe describe in slightly more detail what it's composed of? As we mentioned, it's a layer of endothelial cells tightly bound together. And you know these endothelial cells line cerebral capillaries as those capillaries course through the brain. And they're so tightly bound together, in fact, that what creates the barrier itself are tight junctions between cells. And as you might with great effort, as I had to do, recall from cell biology, you know, tight junctions are complexes of proteins between cells that essentially glue or stick them together. And their technical name is zonulae occludentes. And, you know, when they're viewed three-dimensionally, tight junctions are sort of like staple points between cells. Like you sort of like, if you could go in and just like sort of staple them together from one side, that's sort of, I guess, what they look like molecularly. And so what happens to the blood-brain barrier when cerebral edema develops sort of in these tumors? As you might imagine, tumors can poke holes in the plastic wrap and allow fluid and protein to leak into brain tissue. Specifically, you know, brain tumors, they elicit an inflammatory response that breaks up some of these tight junctions, causes gaps between endothelial cells, when those gaps are called fenestrations. And, you know, there are really some amazing electron microscope pictures out there that vividly show this with the endothelial cells sort of beating up and sort of allowing stuff to get through through these fenestrations. And, you know, essentially tumors disrupt the blood-brain barriers, endothelial tight junctions, causing them to become leaky. That's probably the most, I don't know, that maybe is sort of the plainest way to put it. And so going back to steroids, I would suppose that steroids somehow reduce that capillary blood-brain barrier leakiness. Um, and you, know, you mentioned inflammation, and steroids are clearly anti-inflammatory. Is it is it through some anti-inflammatory mechanism that they do that? And actually, do they somehow reduce the leakiness? Absolutely. You know, steroids like dexamethasone are going to reduce edema and vascular leakiness around tumors in the brain, partly by their anti-inflammatory effects, but something else, an entirely different mechanism, is also going on. But before going on any further, let's first take a break to hear from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. When clinicians are at their best, working in medicine can be one of the most miraculous and humbling experiences. But on some days, it's easy to get overwhelmed, or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you manage the challenges and get closer to the version of yourself that you want to be. This is true for students all the way through the most seasoned clinicians. At any level, Therapy can teach positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. And therapy isn't just for those who are struggling. Anybody can benefit. And if you're thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp dot com slash clinicians today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash clinicians. And now back to the episode. So coming back, 
Why would dexamethasone have any effects on vascular permeability besides affecting inflammation? Right. Like, why would steroids do anything else besides reduce inflammation? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I use them for. I, that's why I use them too. I use them to raise blood sugar. <laughs> <laughs> and or, you know, But there's this really interesting study involving rat cells that offered an answer. So this study was from back in 2003. And the researchers took an immortalized rat endothelial cell line and allowed them to make a monolayer in cell culture. And they then exposed these endothelial cells to dexamethasone. And they tested how permeable the monolayers were. And they found something surprising. The endothelial cells exposed to dexamethasone were significantly less permeable than baseline. So they were less leaky in tissue culture. And as I sort of envision a tissue culture plate, I can't imagine there is a tremendous inflammatory response that's going on there that needs to be blunted. So this experiment sounds like a decidedly non-anti-inflammatory effect. Am I getting that right? Absolutely. And, you know, reflecting on this experiment, it is so elegant because they essentially isolated the endothelial cells from the immune system. So like this cannot be an immune response mediating this mechanism. And it's it's a really elegant way to, to try to see if there's something else going on. And they found that dexamethasone is doing something to the endothelial cells to make them less leaky. Does it have to do with the tight junctions that we talked about before? Yeah, I was floored by this, but it turns out there's evidence to suggest that dexamethasone actually does upregulate tight junction proteins. So this same 2003 rat endothelial study found that when those rat endothelial cells were exposed to dexamethasone, they increased the expression of tight junction proteins, including ZO1 and occludin. And incredibly, you know, this implies that steroids reduce vasogenic edema by reinforcing the blood-brain barrier by tightening endothelial tight junctions, essentially like making tight junctions even tighter. This is really fascinating. And at first blush, it's surprising because it's really not a mechanism you'd expect for steroids and cerebral edema necessarily. But then I'm like, okay, but steroids do a billion things. So maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Is this sort of all we need to talk about in terms of the vasogenic edema part? And, and if so, can we maybe move on to cytotoxic edema? Yeah. So, and that, that seems to be sort of there's inflammatory and non-inflammatory mechanisms behind how steroids reduce vasogenic edema. So let's now define cytotoxic edema. And what it is, is it's essentially the edema that accompanies the death of cells, as you might expect by its name. So cell death leading to inflammation and then vasogenic edema in the brain is like there's necroptosis or whatever, like as we absorb all of these inflammatory particles? Or is there something specific to dying cells that's going on to cause edema? Certainly, cell injury and death leads to inflammatory responses, but there's actually a specific perturbation that occurs in the interstitium of the brain that leads to cytotoxic edema. So cellular injury to cells like astrocytes in the brain, that leads to mitochondrial dysfunction, as you might expect. And this metabolic disturbance depletes ATP. And without ATP, you can't maintain intra and extracellular ion balance because you know things like the sodium potassium ATP pump need ATP to work. And so this causes sodium and fluid to rush into cells. And that influx of sodium and fluid then creates ionic gradients between the extracellular space and the intravascular compartment, right? All of a sudden, there's less sodium and fluid in the extracellular space, and there's sort of a domino effect 
where then more sodium and fluid actually follows that gradient out of blood vessels and into the interstitial. And you know, this second step is what leads to extracellular cerebral edema, or again, what we kind of can call cytotoxic cerebral edema. But is is this something that the dexamethasone could actually treat? Because like, I don't treat many patients with anoxic brain injury. I think Avi, you do this a lot, and Hannah, I'm sure you've done this um, during residency. But from what I recall, um, I don't think steroids is, is part of the treatment. Presumably, these patients actually have cerebral edema. So am I off here? You know, there was an intriguing, and you're, no, you're not. There was an intriguing study in rats that found that treatment with dexamethasone decreased sodium inflow into the brain, into brain tissue after an ischemic injury, decreasing cytotoxic edema. So you know, this is an animal study. But as you said, Tony, you know, we don't use steroids clinically for cytotoxic edema, like anoxic brain injury post-arrest. And that's because clinically, they just haven't really shown any positive effect on outcomes. So we're sort of left using dexamethasone only for vasogenic edema as regards the brain. But thankfully, it's very effective at treating that. So what I'm left kind of wondering is, is there any evolutionary mechanism that we like either could postulate or see in any of this data as to why steroids might do this? Like, is this keeping fluid intravascularly, you know, because you're you need like effective arterial blood volume in the setting of whatever stressor is going on or like, like, why would steroids do this? Yeah, I mean, I think we would be we're going to be sort of left speculating deeply speculating about this. But I think like, like you said, you know, I, that's what I sort of wonder if it's a sort of evolutionarily adaptive thing that if your fight or flight system is being activated by a threat, it's good to maintain intravascular volume and tightening up tight junctions might help you do that. So that's what I would wonder. What do you all think? I was wondering if, if this is partly counter-regulatory because obviously there's so much of this yin and yang in the endocrine systems. And you know, clearly this, at the time of inflammation, you want vascular leakiness so you can get cells and fluid to areas of injury. But at some point you want to turn that off. And I, I just don't know, maybe cortisol has a role for turning it off. But that's, again, just as you said, this is kind of speculation. There may be an answer here. I just don't know what it is. Yeah, I also kind of wonder if like in the setting of a parasite or like some kind of intruder, like the idea is just like shut everything down, close all the doors, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know, or like a toxin or something like that, like prevent, you know, from perfusing into tissue. I don't know that anyone sees that clinically as like an actual effect. It certainly is fun to wonder about. And maybe Tony has one one last point. I know you had mentioned before we were recording about um, something that um, that you found about ITP. Yeah. This discussion, as we were preparing, made me think about a, a scenario where we also use steroids. And, and as you said, that's ITP. And one of the interesting observations for that condition is that the bleeding gets better before the platelet count improves, after you give steroids. And part of the thinking there is that the steroids improve the vascular integrity that is di diminished by the thrombocytopenia. And so you get less bleeding even though the platelet count is still like, you know, zero. And so it's kind of shows that there's another scenario where the steroids have a role in sort of improving these wonderful endothelial cells. It's not always about the, the ones in the blood-brain barrier. I love that. You know, as discussed, any opportunity to further bring platelets into the discussion will really bring it all together for me. So Avi, you know, like taper us down a little bit, simplify for us. <laughs> Do you have any take-home points? 
Yeah, we, we, we definitely, you know, we don't want any, um, any leaks in the knowledge here. So exactly. So dexamethasone has anti-edema effects for brain tumors. It does this by decreasing vasogenic edema, which occurs by decreasing capillary leak from the blood-brain barrier. And this reduced capillary leak is accomplished by really two main mechanisms, anti-inflammatory effects and by upregulating the expression of endothelial tight junction proteins, which reinforces those tight junctions um, and thereby prevents vasogenic edema. Steroids impact on cytotoxic edema, though, are less clear and unfortunately don't seem to have clinical effects there. All right. And that wraps up another episode of The Curious Clinicians. Thank you, as always, for joining us. As a reminder, you can join our mailing list at CuriousClinicians.com to stay up to date on episode releases and have detailed notes delivered directly to your inbox. For physicians and other healthcare professionals, you can earn CME and MOC credits from BCU Health just for listening to this episode. For more information, you can visit ce.bcuhealth.org slash Curious Clinicians. And as always, the information contained in this episode is for educational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. Until next time, we've been the Curious Clinicians.